You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Mubs, who is using Laravel and PHP to power a site that helps you find the best podcast episodes to listen to. Mubs, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, very happy to have you on. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about your site? Sure. Um, So a little bit about me. I've been writing software since I was about eight years old. I started playing around with a a Commodore VIC-20 that we had in the house. Um, uh, Really enjoyed it, really loved it. So just started just doing it every spare minute that I had. Ended up going to um, school for it. So I went to university in England studied computer science, um, got introduced into this thing called the internet that was just kind of opening up back in 1995-ish um, and really loved being online, being c- connected. So I started writing software for kind of internet, kind of online space. Uh, and I've been doing it ever since. So for the last 25 years or so, I've been building websites, web applications for myself and you know, for, for side projects and things like that, but also uh, you know, as a paid employee at startups and agencies and all sorts of things like that. And yeah, and so recently I've been building a website called PodHunt, which is kind of a product hunt style uh, website that allows people to submit uh, podcast episodes that they really like, and it allows other people to kind of upvote those and we kind of have a daily leaderboard of kind of what's what 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 people are listening to and what what people think is really awesome. Very cool. And wow, yeah, you started really early there. It sounds like we're probably similar in age, but I definitely didn't start at eight. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I started just doing like basic essentially was what I started with and I just really loved it. And so it just kind of kept, and now I've learned, you know, I've, I've coded in just about every every language that's kind of out there, C to C++ to assembly even. Um, and then in terms of the web, in terms of Perl, PHP, and Ruby on Rails, and Node, and all that kind of stuff as well. Wow. And here we are, you know, after you've developed Podcast Hunt, which is using Laravel and PHP. Uh, before we get into that, do you want to just go over maybe some high-level details about the site in terms of like what type of traffic you get? Yeah, uh, and I can pull up some stats. So, I mean, it goes up and down just depending on kind of what, uh, you know, kind of what episodes are posted, what people are sharing and what people aren't sharing. Traffic's been up and down in the pandemic a little bit too, in terms of, you know, even even like in the, you know, actual podcast listening itself has kind of had this kind of fall off and then it kind of, it's kind of had a bit of a resurgence, I think, as people have figured out what their routine is kind of in their new kind of working from home schedule as well. Um, so right now we're doing about a thousand visitors a month right now. But like I said, that goes up and down. It's been up as high as like three or four thousand a month um and you know hopefully in 2021 it will it will continue to kind of increase as well um but yeah so that's so it's about it's in in this month at least in 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 december so far we've had about a a thousand visitors uh and uh about three or four thousand pages nice and then as for the site itself, are you the sole developer on the project or do you have anyone else working on it? No, just me. Uh, it, was, it was very much a passion project. Um, I really, you know, really like to listen to podcasts and, and obviously trying to be on a few as well. Um, and yeah, I was really having a hard time finding you know, awesome episodes to kind of listen to. Um, it was actually uh, Justin Jackson who runs 
Transistor FM was the one who kind of poked me to kind of create the site itself. Um, and, and so, yeah, so he kind of, uh, he, I mean, I guess you'd say he was the kind of inspiration for the actual site itself. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's one of the problems with podcasts, right? There's so many out there, so many good shows, but it's so hard to find which ones to to listen to. Yeah, I mean, even if you find a good show to listen to now, you know, with 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 kind of podcasts putting out episodes every d- day in some instances, you can't always listen to every episode of kind of every show even. Um, and so even just finding the right episode in, in the shows that you already listen to is is pretty hard and then if you're looking for something new to listen to as well again it can be really hard to kind of know what's going to be a good fit for the for the kind of thing that you're looking for as well yeah absolutely so you've been around the block when it comes to programming in different languages all the way from basic to assembly uh what motivated you to use laravel and php for this app so i I guess i've been a php user for a really long time um i think i wrote my first php app this was going back to probably php i don't know probably like two or three i think uh, I think my first app was in in 2000 was my first PHP app. And, uh, you know, I started using things like WordPress and, and, and sort of other content management systems as well. So I've been really, really involved in the sort of PHP and even the content management system side and also the framework side. I've used things like CodeIgniter, CakePHP as well, looked at Yee as well, and so I kind of explored all of those as well. And I started keeping an eye on... Laravel again when it was pre kind of launch as well, uh, just because it looked like it was a good um, framework that pulled a lot of uh, really awesome things from other frameworks, from other languages. So Laravel is very heavily inspired by, or at least it was at the beginning, inspired very heavily by Rails as well. Um, and so it has a very, uh, it has a very kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a fairly standard MVC framework but it seems to leverage uh the sort of php world as much as it can um as well so i mean i was just kind of uh, attracted to the ease of use in terms of just the way that it it kind of helped you create sites but then because it was php it's still very easy for doing hosting and uh and, and and kind of things like that so yeah that's kind of how i got kind of attracted to it kind of early on Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So I, I've used PHP in the past before, never wrote a single line of Laravel, but I find myself watching uh, the creator of Laravel, uh, Taylor Atwell, like all of his keynotes on YouTube and I follow him on Twitter and like the whole Laravel community uh, is amazing, right? It seems like it's so well suited to just building like business style apps quickly. Like you want notifications, it's there. Admin is there. Deployment, solve problem. Like, yeah. Is that kind of like what led you to use that? I, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, I mean, obviously with, uh, composer package as well so this whole php world kind of evolved kind of at the same time as well so you know pulling in packages and these kind of standard functionalities even if they're not tailored specifically for laravel it's very easy to access all of that functionality in a laravel application as well and so it does make it very easy to build in you know most of the standard functionality in terms of user login, user registration, user authentication, all of that kind of stuff is just kind of part of the core framework. It, actually, they pulled some of that stuff out of the core framework, and it's now packages that you can just install. Um, and you know, so it's yeah, so it's very easy to kind of build the sort of skeleton of the application that you want to build, which hasn't got you know the specific functionality of the application you're building, but all the stuff that you normally would need to build from scratch. It's just kind of all there so that you can actually get to the point where you can actually write the code for your actual application 
in a matter of a few hours because because you know it's just a matter of like installing the framework finding the right package that you want to use installing that and just making sure it's all hooked up and then you can actually start to write the code that that you actually need to actually write instead of spending you know what feels like days or weeks sometimes kind of scaffolding uh, other other applications instead Right. So I, I don't know enough about Laravel to go like super deep into the woods, but I know of things like Breeze and Jetstream and Inertia and Livewire and stuff like that. Uh, which components of Laravel are you using to build your app? So PodHunt's a little, so PodHunt's about a year and a half old. So it's not using all of the, the most recent bells and whistles. So it's still, I mean, it's still using, I think I'm still running on Laravel 6 on that one because I haven't updated that up to the most recent version of Laravel. Uh, it, it predates Alpine and Livewire, so it's using Vue.js for the front end, um, you know, sort of sort of interactions and things. Because with PodHunt, you can upvote uh, in individual episodes, so so I use Vue as the sort of interaction layer there, which you know just makes API calls back into the back end uh, instead. Um, but yeah, so in in some of my recent more recent applications, I, I've I've been uh, pulled into what what is currently being called the tall stack which is a uh, tailwind alpine laravel and livewire um so c- combined they kind of give you like laravel is there for like the the sort of back end you know sort of api sort of server side functionality tailwind is there for all of the styling stuff that you need to do with your well, you know, your, your css without having to write any css and then you have alpine and L- Livewire, which kind of handle the front end interactions and uh, kind of you know, having the front end talk back to the server as well. So that kind of tall stack, I think, is 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 the thing that I've been building the, the vast majority of my applications in, and will I, and and I, and I expect I will be for the foreseeable f- f- future as well. Yeah, yeah. The Livewire setup is something, and again, Caleb is one of those people as well. Where I just watch his videos, even though I don't write any code. They're just like. They're they're fun to watch, but the idea of Livewire, right? That's very very nice for doing uh, real time updates between the back end and the front end without having to write a ton of JavaScript. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's that's it, you know, it was just another thing that you had to learn. Normally, like you had to learn React or Vue or you know something like that to just to kind of enable those kind of interactions that you wanted to. And with something like Livewire, and and there's com- comparable other you know into the other uh, stacks too. I think uh, Ruby on Rails has turbo links and 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 kind of things like that which is kind of a a similar thing as well um but yeah it just means that there's one less thing that you have to learn one less thing that you have to integrate into your application one less thing you have to manage into upgrading to new versions and things like that uh because you know livewire and and laravel so closely coupled it kind of makes it very easy to kind of stay up to date with with kind of everything that's happening kind of in those worlds but it's just one less language that you have to learn as well right like 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 you said you don't have to write any javascript at all you can do all of your functionality in just what would be normal php instead uh and it, so it makes it very much easier to kind of spin up applications that feel very responsive and very kind of interactive without you having to learn this this kind of whole other world as well Right. Now, with all that said, have you ever given any thought about going back to your existing podcast app today and then just, you know, maybe updating it to the latest Laravel and using Livewire and that stuff or no? No, I think it's 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 on the it's it's in the plans. Uh, right now, I haven't really hit anything that I wanted to change in terms of the core functionality that that has really made it necessary to kind of 
do the update kind of right now because it's all just been fairly small updates that I've had to make. I think if there's any, you know, big functionality changes, big, big, big things that I would need to add rather than implementing them in Vue, I would, I would probably just take the time to kind of upgrade kind of everything and kind of switch out. Um, and so, yeah, so, so instead of using Vue, I would, I would switch out to sort of Alpine and Livewire instead. So yeah, it's, and yeah, and it's absolutely on the, on, on sort of, it's, it's on the roadmap. I just don't know exactly when I think it will all happen. <laughs> right. Well, I guess as a developer, right, these are dangerous topics to go about. It's like, do you want to sit there and rewrite what's already working with something else just because it's the new hotness? Like maybe developing features could be time better spent. Exactly. And like I said, if, 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 you know, sort of if I ever hit on something that's like, well, I need to spend a lot of time building that interview or I need to spend a lot of time kind of figuring out how to implement that, it might make more sense instead of adding something new or, or, or you know, kind of extending down the sort of view path. Now's a good time to kind of refactor stuff uh, as opposed to just kind of, as you said, you know, just, just, just kind of spending time upgrading stuff. That's, that's, that's working absolutely fine as it is. Right. Now, as for this app itself, is this a monolithic app, like in one Git repo, or do you have it split out? No, it's, um, yeah, I haven't really got to the point size and scale-wise where it needs to be kind of this kind of a separate thing. I mean, the way that you organize a Laravel app too, it's very easy to keep it all kind of self-contained in kind of one repository, but, you know, you can still, because it comes with build tools to build your view and your sort of, um, uh, CSS uh, kind of assets as well. So you don't need kind of separate um, repos for any of that stuff. Okay. And when it comes to building those assets, is that using Webpack under the hood or something else? Uh, it's under the hood, I believe it is Webpack. It's using Laravel Mix, which is a wrapper around Webpack to make all of that stuff easier. So you, again, you don't have to learn Webpack itself. You can configure it using... Uh, kind of Laravel code. Um, but yeah, so I, I think ultimately under the hood it is, but again, I don't have to learn that because uh, Jeffrey Way, I believe, is the person who, who maintains Laravel Mix, uh, which, which kind of is, it, yeah, it just kind of uh, isolates me from having to learn any of that stuff <laughs> itself. Right. And yeah, that's another name where, again, never written a line of Laravel, but yet I've watched some of his videos. Like, it's, it's so funny. Such a, such a, like a well-rounded and super nice community. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that that's what I think attracts a lot of people to Laravel as well. Is that it's not just that it's a it's a it's a good tool. It's a good uh, you know it's that it's a good framework. One, the documentation for it is really awesome. I think Taylor spends a lot of time focusing on uh, explaining how things work and what the right way is to kind of what the not the right what the recommended way is of of, of coding your applications. Uh, but then there's but there's also probably a, probably a good ten or twelve other people who are really close to the Laravel world who talk not necessarily directly about Laravel, but all the things that you need to do to build a modern application. So just like we talked about in terms of like how do you build your assets, how do you do your CSS? You know, obviously Tailwind uh, is a another. CSS framework that's it's agnostic you can use it with what which whichever frameworks and things that you want but the people who started it are very heavily involved in the Laravel community as well so it's very easy to kind of integrate all those things as well and then with Alpine and Hivefire you 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 get exposed to everything that you need to build modern responsive applications uh with a 
tech stack that's 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 kind of almost fully integrated at this point but you but but you also get access to those individuals as well which i think is pretty awesome as well yeah yeah that's very well put now as for this app itself then I mean, do you just have like sprinkles of view on the front end for those interactive parts where you have like blade, I think it's blade templates on the back end, like, or is it more just purely API based with a pure view front end for everything? No, I, I, I thought about making it a, you know, a full view app, um, but I kind of pulled back from that just because I thought SEO was kind of a, a sort of important aspect of this particular site. And yes, I could pre-render view and, and kind of make it kind of SEO friendly, but I figured, you know, why add that extra, <laughs> why, you know, why, why add that extra headache into this thing? If I could just kind of just sprinkle in view instead and then just have the sort of actual page itself rendered from the played templates instead, uh, it just makes life easier. There's one less thing you have to worry about uh, in terms of pre-rendering stuff instead so yeah so it's just a it's a standard Laravel app which uses blade on the back end with uh with any of the interactions in terms of uploading episodes and things like that uh which is a a few component inside of the blade uh components as well okay now speaking about components and you know it being a typical Laravel app did you end up writing your own like custom admin back end or no uh, so no, in this case, um, I, I wanted as much of the functionality to be on the front end as I could because I wanted anybody to be able to submit episodes, uh, kind of, uh, you know, search and, and, and do all of that kind of stuff. But they did, but they did need to be a back end for me as well, just to kind of admin stuff. So again, there's a, there's a package called Laravel Nova. Uh, which allows, it's not really meant as a content management system or anything like that. It's more meant for admin tasks. So if you're, if you're a, a site administrator or, a, you know, a webmaster in the old kind of terms. And uh, uh, so it kind of allows you to build kind of an admin interface without necessarily having to write any, again, having to write very much code yourself. You're more configuring uh, what, what the uh, what the entities are inside of your application, what the fields are inside of each of those entities, and then it kind of creates an application for you or creates an admin interface that allows you to edit those entities. And you know, it has uh, it has a long list of different field types, and it has a long yeah, it supports all of the standard Laravel relationships as well. So you can have entities that belong to other ones and and so it's all, all sorts of stuff like that and it makes it very easy to build like you know if somebody needs to change their email address or something i can just log into the admin interface and, and kind of update that if i need to or if there's if somebody made a mistake in submitting something uh i i, I can do all that it, it's not very it's not a very customized looking you know sort of cms or anything like that uh but it but it makes it very easy to kind of spin up an admin interface that you can still use to, to kind of manage all your information Right. And yeah, that's uh, definitely a lot better than just going straight into like a psql prompt on your production database and just <laughs> execute some live queries there. I've had to do that in the past and I would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of, you know, psql or whatever, I mean, are you using Postgres on the back end as your database or no? No, it's actually just using MySQL, um, just kind of standard... Uh, um, I guess it's it's using an RDS instance actually, but... Um, but yeah, so it's it yeah, it's not using Postgres in this case. Just stick, I just stuck with MySQL here. Okay, so then in that case, I guess you'd be running a MySQL command instead of psql. Yes. <laughs> now, as for other uh, components of your app, are you using anything like background jobs, like maybe to send emails out or do any batch processing or whatever? Uh, a little bit, yeah. So um, 
there's because I'm pulling uh, information about p- 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 podcasts and episodes and things like that. There's there's some there's some scripts that run on a kind of regular interval just to update the information about a specific p- podcast. It might pull down the most recent episodes out of these sort of RSS feeds and 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 kind kind of stuff like that. There's also a section of the site called. Um, collections which uh, allows you to kind of what allows me to build a collection so i've got a um i think i've got a web development like collection which is just a list of podcasts that are kind of uh, associated that are kind of oriented around web development and so there's a script that runs that just kind of updates that collection with the most recent episodes from each of those particular podcasts and 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 kind of things like that um email is not done well i mean other than things like you know i well actually in this case i didn't even need to do the the forgot password because you log in with your twitter account um uh so yeah so all of that authentication stuff is just kind of offloaded so i didn't have to worry about that you can subscribe to an email list um but sort of all that email handling is kind of is handled off-site okay yeah it's a good idea for that one as for some of those background tasks, like reading in RSS feeds, I know as someone who does run a podcast, you know, that feed can get pretty big in size. Like the actual HTML response could be multiple megs. Uh, did you run into any challenges if you're just like, you know, grabbing feeds on a regular basis for many different sites? No, no problem. I mean, obviously, if I was trying to run those, you know, as people were like interacting with the site itself, I think that that would be <laughs> that would be an issue um in in most cases i don't do any of that stuff there's occasionally you have to because somebody like you know uh searches for a a podcast that hasn't been submitted kind of already and so you have to pull down the sort of episode and you have to pull in your rss feed live yeah i mean i haven't run into any performance issues on that side of things yet um just trying to think the other thing that happens uh somewhat automatically is uh for each episode that gets submitted i generate an open graph image that's tailored to that specific episode so we pull the sort of title of the episode we pull and uh, we uh, i pull the image for the podcast cover art and we create like an open graph share image that's customized with with kind of all this sort of uh sort of episode specific uh kind of information on it as well and that one in the past i've run into issues just in terms of the size of those images and how much ram you need and, and kind of things like that but um i think think with the, with the spec server I have, I haven't run into any of those issues yet. <laughs> okay. And uh, that actually brings up a good point for discussion here about those images. Are there any specific libraries that you have installed, I guess, in your composer file that made this app really easy or nice to develop? I mean, also like specifically about the images, are you using like image magic or something else behind the scenes? Let me make, I'll, I'll pull it up, make sure. <laughs> been a while since I've been in that particular composer file so let's see need to dust off the cobwebs i can dust off the cobwebs a little bit um so yeah so let's see i don't i think in this case i was using um looking through this so yeah so the way i generated those images was i actually wrote like a html page that is the is like the 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 the, the visualization of that particular, you know, 1200 by 600 image that you need for Facebook and Twitter. Um, And then I use a package called Parousershot, which kind of just visits that page and takes a snapshot 
of that particular page at at the site at the width and height that you specify and then just outputs it into a png file or whatever uh which, whichever one you prefer um so that one that one is that's like an extra thing you have to install but it's just a, it's just a standard package uh that you would just in, in, that you install with composer and that's part of the uh the sort of code that generates those uh essentially uses it to call uh, so so the way that it works is when you request the open graph image um it makes a call to a kind of a hidden url which is the html version of that and it, it, it kind of checks to see if the image has already been generated so it looks for that on the file system if it finds it it just kind of returns that 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 image if it's not there it then calls the code that calls browser shot to go out that's you know it hits that hidden url saves that into the image file instead and then returns the image instead so it's all kind of done kind of on the fly but then i kind of update them via a background job as well uh so when you add a podcast uh it kicks off a background job to generate the image so the first time somebody asks for it it's usually already there but if there's some reason that that job failed to run or whatever we still kind of have that fallback to try and create the image when somebody asks for it the first time as well. Okay. And then you mentioned there like local disk there for the file. Do you have all the, all the files just being uploaded to disk or do you shoot them over to S3? Uh, it depends on the file. So anything that I can regenerate or, you know, things that are generated automatically, um, those just stay on the local file system. There's there's a part of the application that allows people to upload uh, like a like a thirty second snippet of the podcast, so you know, just kind of like a preview or a trailer that 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 somebody can upload. That because it's not something that I you know that I'm I'm in charge of in terms of making and stuff. That I offload to S3. But I just want to make sure that you know it's kind of always there, and it's and those are slightly larger files as well. So just being able to offload the serving of those to s3 kind of made more sense as well okay well that just made me think of something like do you have any protection mechanisms in place that would protect someone from uploading a new podcast or adding a new podcast to the list that's not theirs and then associating that to some like 30 second clip of just like pure things that shouldn't be said yeah um so to to submit episodes uh or, or yeah just to submit stuff onto the website you need to be approved by me as it stands right now so somebody would have to so you can create an account and upvote episodes and and sort of all that kind of stuff without requiring any special action when you decide that you want to submit episodes you kind of have to reach out to me kind of in this case because i'm the only person here but you you have to reach out to an admin uh, and then i can i can enable your account to be able to uh, actually upload episodes um and then yes, so when some so so there's no pre-check in terms of you know which which podcast you can submit for and and so those kind of things, uh, but whenever a podcast episode is submitted, I get I get I get a notification in a Slack channel that I have got set up, um, and so I can I can go and check to see what somebody submitted and if it's all you know appropriate and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I use my admin panel that with that we spoke about earlier that I can I can edit stuff and I can remove stuff if I need to as well. Okay, so ultimately, like they can submit it, but it's not live until you flag it as okay. Uh, well, 
I mean, it kind of is because well, right right now I haven't really run into too many issues yet. Like I haven't had any issues yet in terms of kind of inappropriate stuff. Um, so I've kind of left it so that you can submit stuff. Uh, but I get but I get a notification almost. I mean, effectively immediately, and in most cases because the volume isn't that high yet i'm kind of able to kind of have a look at it and take it off if i have to but like i said i haven't had to yet prior to you to being able to even submit anything you kind of have to like i said you kind of have to reach out and you kind of have to you know i kind of ask them like you know okay what what kind of stuff do you want to submit and just kind of make sure that they 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 kind of understand you know what's appropriate and what's not <laughs> right now, as for that notification that gets sent through Slack, is that all through Laravel's notification system or something else? Yeah, no, it, there's a yeah, it's just using it's just using the standard Slack and uh, Laravel and notification stuff. Okay, now maybe now we can talk a little bit more about the rest of your tech stack. So you are, you know, you mentioned you are using MySQL. Do you have Redis powering uh, the background workers and other stuff as a backend or no? I yeah I so yeah it it comes as standard installed on on the sort of server when when you spin it up so any of the background processes and stuff the jobs are managed in that but I don't really use it any anything specifically in sort of in the application itself that's just uh, a part of the way that Laravel uh, controls the jobs and kind of knows what's in the queue and stuff like that that's the only bit that I use Redis for okay. And then for development and maybe production or either or, do you happen to use Docker or no? No, um, this is, it wasn't, it, I mean, I've used it on kind of other projects in the past, but uh, but for this particular, the, just given the size and stuff kind of at the beginning, at least it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't think it was going to be required. Now that, now that Taylor's kind of built Laravel sale, which makes it much easier to kind of spin up the Docker containers and stuff. Uh, I may well start using that in the f in the f future as well, though. Okay, and for listeners out there, do you want to give us the TLDR on sail? Because I know there's like breeze and jet stream and sail and like like geothermal like winds like all <laughs> like millions of crazy names. Yep. Uh, so a lot of our sail is actually um, just it. Taylor kind of had the the sort of realization that if you got yeah if if you were somebody new starting in web development not even necessarily in Laravel specifically before you could even start to write any code there was just a lot of server stuff that you had to set up on your local machine right like you had to install PHP and the and MySQL or Postgres depending on what you wanted to use and then you had to install Composer and NPM and Node and all these kind of things right there's just a long list of things that you have to do before you can actually get to the point where you can actually start writing any of your application itself um, and and so he wanted to make it much easier for people to kind of spin up local environments um, so that you could actually get to the point where you could actually learn to write code or if you were you know if you already knew how to write code so you just get to the point where you actually write code and manage your applications on an on a new machine much easier much much quicker as well uh, so he, so he built this thing called Laravel Sail which is effectively just a wrapper around Docker at least I think it's all available on the Mac right now I think it works on Windows as well um and um and so yeah so with like a couple of c commands now you can kind of get your local environment up and running in a really really short amount of time so that and then it kind of it provides an interface that you can execute all the commands that you would normally have to do 
inside of the con containers as well so it could because there's some things that you just have to like when you're building your assets and things like that if you don't have all of the build tools installed in your local machine you need to get into the container so that you can execute all of that stuff and so Harvell sale and and the sort of utilities that it ships with just means that you can um so it just means you can spin up your local environments and start writing code in just by installing one thing instead of having installed 20 things <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, that barrier to entry is really high for a lot of web frameworks. You know, not just Laravel, where you need all those things installed just to write one line of code. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's I mean, there's the PHP bit, right? But then there's so many other bits that we have now in terms of like modern web applications in terms of, oh, you got to build your CSS and your JavaScript and all that kind of stuff. And that's like separate from the actual application itself normally. And so that's all like you've got to install NPM and Node and, and sort of all of those kind of things as well. And and to have to install all those all on your local machine, and then you know it's like, well, this library needs this, and you get all sorts of different c c conflicts about what version was installed and what's what's needed and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, sale just makes it so that you don't have to be concerned about any of that stuff. Right, and then there's also just like running everything at once. Like if you're not using any tools like Docker or Sail or something else, it's like, well, now you have to run MySQL and Redis and your web worker and the web app itself. And like the watcher for Webpack and like whatever else gets crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so like I said, hopefully that's made it, I mean, it's made it easier for kind of people who are getting started, but I think also for people who are even more experienced, just make, it just means that you have to do less things. And if there's less things you have to do, that's, that's one of the things I like about Laravel. It just means I have to do less things to be productive. Yeah, for sure. Now, Rewinding back to the rest of your tech stack, I mean, do you have anything else like running in front of the Laravel web server, like Apache or Nginx or something else? Yeah, so I, I use the standard recommended Laravel stack, which is N Nginx in this particular case. Um, there's nothing, yeah, so I haven't got any load balances on this particular site. I do on a few others, but yeah, so, so it's just the standard Nginx, um, let's encrypt powered SSL. Uh, sitting in front of uh, in in front of the PHP application. Nice. Yeah, I think now would be a great time to start talking about you know the deployment side of things. So, you mentioned RDS for the MySQL database. Is everything on AWS or somewhere else? So it's actually running on DigitalOcean. Taylor Artwell uh, built this thing called Forge, which is kind of a uh, kind of a hosting managing platform that actually talks to DigitalOcean and, and actually talks to AWS as well now, uh, which basically just, I, I actually log into Forge and Forge will actually talk over this API with DigitalOcean, create my instance for me, you know, depending on what size and configuration I picked. And it then installs things like Nginx and configures it and installs, you know, sort of all of the appropriate tools and, and makes the c configuration kind of a standard uh, uh, you know, has all of the security rules and kind of all that kind of stuff already preset, so I don't have to do any of that stuff myself, um, which makes it really easy to kind of spin up a new server that if you have a new application and you want to put a new server on it, it kind of handles all that stuff for you. Uh, also handles all of the let's encrypt stuff, so if you, want to, if you want to add SSL on your server as well, kind of handles all of that as well. So it's, it's literally a matter of you point, click, you kind of have a new server spun up. It takes about... 10 minutes now to kind of initialize the instance itself and then run through the sort of install of, of kind of all of the sort of applications that need to be installed as well. So it sets up Redis and Nginx and, and you know, sort of all of that kind of stuff as well. 
Um, and then if I want to add SSL, I can just log in and, and kind of add that as well. So it makes that makes that really easy. Right. Yeah, it's always a lot nicer when you can just click around in a web UI versus having to go and, you know, set up the entire server from scratch by running commands or, you know, even using like configuration management tools. Yeah, because I mean, and, and again, it's one less thing you have to maintain, right? Like I don't have to remember, about, okay, what's the most recent version of Nginx? What's the most recent version of PHP? What's what's the what's the current like security things that you know people should be uh, kind of setting up and installing? There's this whole team at Forge kind of handles all that and kind of make sure that we're you know that kind of everything's up to the most recent um, recommendations and versions of everything as well. Right now, as for the instance size. Do you want to go over the specs of it, like what CPU and memory it has? Uh, that's a good question. Let's see if we can figure that out. <laughs> I mean, I think I again because this isn't a very high traffic site right now. I think I just went with uh, just pretty small instance sizes. I think it was only the one gig size in terms of RAM. Um, and I'm just trying to see if I can figure out what that one is <laughs> Let's yeah and i think that's the the lowest one right? like the five dollar a month plan it used to they used to have a 512 one as well but i think they might have shut that one off because it was just so cheap now to go up to one gig size as well um yeah if you had an old server that was 512 megs they just offered you to update it to one gigs for, for well, one gig for free I, th- I think it was effectively the same price it sort of yeah i think at one point they just shut it down and said look it's gonna be the same price to to, to go up to the one to the one gig instead so uh, i'm trying to remember how many cpus this has as well um i think it'll have one if it's the one gig plan yeah i think so yeah because i think this is actually this this particular server actually predates this this particular application because i had some other because i had some other things installed as well um so yeah so i think uh yeah so i think it's uh it's the one gig and the one cpu okay so when it comes to this forge tool does it let you pick what distro of linux to install or is that like all abstracted away from you uh so i you do ha- i think the standard one is just to install ubuntu uh they do have other uh other recipes and things that you can if you wanted to have a specific instance instead um you you can but the sort of standard one is just to use the current uh ubuntu instance i believe okay and now as for the server do they give you like root ssh access to it so you can go into it on your own or is that like off limits no it's 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 your server you can do whatever you want with it um so you get um you get ssh access with the root they the when they 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 also create a mysql instance on it and as well so you get root access to that as well um they also but they recommend so they create a forge account um kind of when when they kind of spin up the server and that's what they recommend that you ssh in with you know you, you never or you shouldn't you shouldn't ssh in as root etc so they 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 set it up in like i said what's the, the sort of recommended way of setting up hosting uh but you do have so they automatically install your ssh key on it so when when you create your forge account you can manage that so you put your ssh key in that uh when you spin up the server it will install your your ssh key in in into that service so that you can ssh into it as well right so similar to github where you would just upload your public key not your private key and then you're good to go yes exactly so maybe now we can talk a little bit about what your deployment process looks like and uh let's begin with like just in the dev environment right like let's say you just want to hack away add a new feature like what does it look like to go from that to it being live on the site 
Yeah. Um, so look, it depends on how big of a change it is. If it's if it's a small feature change or a fix that I'm working on, uh, then yeah, I just work on the master branches. I guess we don't call them master branches anymore. The main branch instead, um, and uh, yeah, just kind of make whatever change. Yeah, I, since I'm the only person working on it, you know, I don't have to worry about other people having made changes or anything like that. Um, so I just make sure I have the most recent code down make my updates i have and i have an instance of site running locally i can make sure everything works the way that i see it that that i expect um and then i just push that uh that change back up to i think it's hosted on gitlab actually and then um and then yeah and then so forge is actually set up as a webhook on the on the repo so uh, when there's a change to the repo, Forge gets uh, uh, a notification that, or it gets a webhook call that the repo has been updated, and I have quick deploy enabled on on that particular server, uh, and so it then calls the repo up down. Uh, uh, pulls down the repo and then there's a script that you can manage inside of Forge that says this is what you have to, these are the steps that you have to take to kind of update the actual site itself. So it runs through, runs database migrations there maybe, it runs any composer install to install any new packages that you, that, that you might have installed as well. Uh, so so it's all fully automated but it's all on the one server so it's fairly straightforward. Um, you can you can force the site to be in kind of update mode as well. There's a there's a, a standard feature inside of Laravel that allows you to put your site into maintenance mode while the deploy is happening, uh, just to kind of avoid any issues on the front end as well. I haven't turned any of that stuff on because the vast majority of the stuff that I'm working on is pretty lightweight, kind of as it stands now. That I don't really it it takes a fraction of a s second to kind of. Uh, up to update the actual site itself. That's pretty interesting, yeah. So I have deployed PHP apps like way back in the day. It's so amazing where you just put the files in a directory and then it's like, it works. There's no restarted restart the process, like wait eight seconds of downtime or whatever. But it's interesting you bring up that maintenance mode then. If deployments are that fast, like essentially just putting files in a specific directory, like why would you even want to set the maintenance page up? Is that, is that for like long running migrations where you just want to might want to keep the app offline until they're done? Yeah, it's. I mean, like I said, it it kind it can kind of depend on what kind of update you have, especially if you're installing like a big new composer package, or you know, if you're doing a big migration that's going to update a lot of uh, some of the larger tables that might take a while as well. Then then kind of in that instance, you may want to put the site into the. Mm, maintenance mode i mean in that case normally i would turn off the auto de 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 deploy anyway uh you, it, that's just a switch that you can flip inside of inside of forge so, so it's kind of really re really easy to kind of turn that on and off um and then yeah so then you could kind of log into the server yourself put the site into them into maintenance mode if you wanted to run whatever updates you needed to do and then once everything was working locally you know once, once you can make sure everything's working um you can you can then Put put the site back into 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 live mode as well. Cool. So this forge also support the ability for you to push your code directly to the server instead of going through GitLab first to execute some webhook. Um, you can. So you can configure where the repository is. You don't have to use GitLab or GitHub or anything like that. So if you wanted to run, a, if you wanted to have the 
Git repository be on the server itself. That is certainly something you, that you can do. I tend not to. Um, just be, I mean, you could, I guess you could just push up to a specific instance of that. Um, I, I haven't done that in any of these projects lately. I'm trying to think if I did that in any other projects. Um, not anything not anything that uses Forge directly, actually. And, and and you can configure it so there's a specific branch that your site works off too, right? It doesn't have to work off of the main branch as well. So if you wanted to have that main branch be, you know, kind of what you work on, and then when you're ready to push to production, say you could have a production branch that you could that you could push as well uh, and then the webhooks can be associated with that instead as well so there's so, so you absolutely have some options in terms of how you kind of manage and update uh, the sites as well okay so on that GitLab setup are you using their CI service as well to run some tests before the webhook gets fired or no um not not on this site again it's it's so it's you know it's such a small site that i really haven't i haven't really set up a lot of that kind of stuff uh but i absolutely have on in kind of other in in sort of other sites uh you know uh Harvard does make it very easy to run standard php unit tests and everything like that as well um and and you know it's kind of a part of the framework as well so um, so you absolutely can set it up like that as well. I, in this, like I said, in this particular case, because it's a, you know it's sort of a kind of a fun podcasting social media kind of site. There's not really that kind of c c c critical functionality that you know that uh, that uh, that I was too concerned about. <laughs> okay, so then just to be clear, then even locally, you don't have any uh, tests that you run before you push it up or no? I have a couple that just have some of the some of the you know make sure that some of the admin functionality is only accessible to admins and and kind of things like that. But very high level tests, um, nothing no, nothing that walks down to like you know sort of individual kind of who's a function. Yeah, there's not there's not like a two hundred test suite or anything like that. I mean, it's probably like ten or so tests I've got just to kind of make sure just that some of that very high level functionality is is kind of working the way it's supposed to. Right, like basic sanity checks, maybe. Exactly, and yeah, and and again, because it's just me working on the code, I know what part of the code I've I've kind of t t t touched there, so uh, so I know when to run the actual test as well. <laughs> right now, speaking of code, I mean, you don't need to go and look it up specifically, but if you had to just eyeball or take a guess, like how many lines of code do you think this app is in terms of like the Laravel code? Um, it did get a little bit big because of the whole, you know, integrating with. Yeah, with the podcast feeds and things with RSS feeds and and I I kind of you you can search iTunes to find the podcast that you want to submit and 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 kind of things like that as well. So it's probably on on the PHP side, it's probably two or three thousand lines of code. I would say all in. Um, there's probably another couple of hundred lines of JavaScript code for the view for the interactions and stuff as well. Okay, yeah, that, that's not too bad at all. I mean, let's be real here, right? Like. You can probably crank that out if you knew exactly what you wanted to write in like two or three days or something like that. Of course, it's always longer than that while you're, while you're developing it, figuring out like what you really want. But that is a remarkable amount of functionality for such a little amount of code. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, a lot of it is because I'm using you know standard packages. You know, I'm not having to actually like open. You know, I'm not having to write code to go actually read the RSS feed itself. I I pull in a package that will parse the RSS feed for me and and you know kind of things like that. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if I was trying to write this code without using a, a lot of the sort of uh, standard packages and and packages that are, that are available on Composer, it would have taken a lot longer and and I would have to write a lot more lines of 
code as well. <laughs> right. So now going back to the deployment process, you mentioned, uh, you know, everything goes through Forge and GitLab. Uh, how does Forge handle secrets? Are they just like key value pairs that you put in their web UI and, and environment variables in the end or something else? No, so uh, the way that Laravel works is there's just basically just a .env file that you put kind of on sort of on your server, uh, which you know which has the sort of it has uh, it's just a yeah it's just a .env file which the standard uh, the sort of .env project has, uh, so it's just a text file essentially that has you know name is equal to value and then that's your list of secrets there. Uh, and uh, inside of Forge, basically, it just gives you an interface that allows you to edit that particular file if you want to. Obviously, you can just SSH into the server and kind of update that f f file as well. So whichever whichever way you want to kind of access that as well. Okay. Yeah, that's a really cool pattern with a .env file. Like I find myself doing that in other frameworks as well. It's so easy just to have like a .env.example file in the repo, no sensitive data, and then you just copy that like .env that example to .env in your dev environment, and then you can put your secrets and you know like test keys for whatever. Or in prod, yeah, you do the same thing. Yeah, and obviously with this, since it's just me, I don't really have to share the keys. We, you know, I don't have to share the secrets with kind of other people as well. That makes it a little bit easier, uh, not not to have to worry about that kind of stuff as well. Right. So maybe now we can talk a little bit about planning for disasters or unexpected events. Do you do any type of like database backups, and if so, how does that how does that happen? Yeah, and when you configure the RDS instance, you can configure it to kind of back up stuff as well. Uh, so I think that's happening once a day, uh, as, uh, just kind of automatically. Um, so I yeah, so I haven't really planned for a disaster in this case, other than the fact that uh, the DB is probably the most important part in terms of like trying to recreate something if if like the entire cloud went away. Um, that that would be the sort of hardest part to recreate the sort of MP3 files that you know the sort of upload that people upload in terms of uh, the little snippets of tra trailer of the episode that's stored up on S3. So hopefully that's that's kind of secure enough. Well, not secure. That's that has enough ways to to get that's you know that that being stored on on sort of Amazon's cloud. I think is 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 uh, unlikely to go away. Um, and then most of the rest of the stuff is just, it's just code that's on my local machine. It's on GitLab as well. And it's obviously on the server as well. So there's lots of different places to kind of access that if, if something went away with that as well. And then, yeah, so, I mean, like there's, there's not too many points of failure. Um, and yeah, thankfully up till now it's been, like I said, it's been about year and a half and we haven't had any issues yet. <laughs> nice. Yeah, as for those other files that get uploaded directly to your server, then do you just not back those up because you can recreate them if they happen to disappear? Yeah, I mean that's like the open graph stuff. Yeah, I can I can regenerate any of that that stuff kind of on the fly as well. So yeah, so but since I didn't need to kind of store them, um, and and I wanted to reference them from because I needed to check to see if they existed before I wanted to generate them again. That's why they stay on the local file system. To have to go check that on S3 would have been a kind of a heavy hit um and so yeah so that, that's why they stay on the on the they stay on the local house system instead okay now does forge or maybe you do this manually in DigitalOcean? do you have anything set up to where you'll get notified if the cpu or memory goes too high on your server like 90 percent cpu load for 10 minutes or whatever uh, you can do some of that stuff i haven't because i just i mean i've i've watched what the load on the server is and stuff um and i i we've never hit that <laughs> we've never hit even close to that with this with the kind of functionality that we have 
um so i mean i i think it's one of the things that you know i kind of log in once in a while just to kind of look around the server and make sure everything's okay and if it ever got to the point where where load was starting to become an issue then then i think i would install that and i would install some kind of monitoring there to kind of uh, just to kind of alert me but it, it but it hasn't been an issue up till now at least okay and then on the topic of monitoring if, if an error were to happen, like, you know, a 500 is thrown, do you get emailed or is there some way for you to check that out in Forge? Um, you can log in and, uh, and do the error. You can you can check the error logs. Um, I believe I have Sentry installed. So that will that will send me an email. In fact, I get an email or not an email. I get a I get I get an entry in Sentry about the exception and then Sentry emails me. Uh, depending on if it's a new error or not, um, uh, or depending on how I've got, got, got my sentry settings kind of organized uh, to kind of alert me the fact that there was an exception. And then you can kind of track how many times that, that exception occurred. And, and obviously you can get the full stack trace and, and, and kind of all that kind of stuff as well. Right. Do you happen to remember the last time you got notified of an error and like what it was? Uh, it's been a couple of months. Um, I think it was just something to do with processing one of the rss feeds uh, it was just like a, a specific case that i hadn't handled in terms of some response code that the that the um that 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 server was returning when when i was trying to pass this sort of rss feed yeah it's kind of crazy like rss feeds they're so basic yet so complicated and this is like a quick aside here there's this one podcast platform where my podcast is on and they've gotten two and a half million rss feeds uploaded and my RSS feed, for whatever reason, like it exposed an inefficiency in like the regular expression for parsing it somehow. And he's like, dude, this is like the first podcast out of two and a half million where I found this bug in a regex because it took like 30 seconds to parse your thing when everyone else happens in like 100 milliseconds. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's intense to uh, deal with RSS feeds. Yeah, um, and 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 it's it's kind of amazing. I mean, one of the things I've 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 noticed having run run this sort of site now for a year or so is that there really isn't a standard in terms of like you know your services are supposed to have like here you put the title here you put the URL, but people seem to have very d different understandings of. Uh, you know what? What? What exactly the URL is supposed to be? Sometimes it goes back to the episode page. Sometimes it goes back to the homepage of the podcast episode podcast itself. Sometimes it goes back to the the URL, the hosting of the podcast. Instead, it's just it's it's just kind of amazing to just to kind of see how people are handling that stuff, <laughs> and and it's not being standardized at all. Yeah, yeah. The best we get with standards with podcasts is like, well, just do whatever format iTunes says, and everyone else kind of pulls from that. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm. Yeah. And again, this is a, a bit a, a bit of an aside, but there's a there's a new project called Podcast Index, uh, which is kind of uh, setting itself up to be kind of a kind of independent kind of archive of every podcast ever, so that so that it's not it's not con controlled by a big organization, a you know a big corporate entity, um, and so they're they 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 do seem to be trying to standardize things which i think is awesome so if, if 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 we can make something like that happen plus they're adding a whole bunch of uh standardized extensions to the to the rss namespace as well just to expose some extra f f f functionality as well nice now one last thing by the way about like disaster recovery do you have anything hooked up that just like pings your site every couple of minutes looking for a 200 like uptime robot or whatever uh, I believe I did set up Uptime Robot. I uh, haven't had alert in a while, so I don't know uh, for sure. But yeah, I think I just signed up for the 
hurry plan so i think it pings it every uh five minutes or so just to make sure this that this height is actually up or not yeah yeah no i use the same free plan on my sites too works very nicely so what would you say some of your best tips and lessons learned are from building the site um yeah no i mean i th i mean yeah obviously as we just talked about like just uh yeah, understanding like the sort of nuances of your specific application and and the, and the space that you're working on. You're right. There's so many edge cases and things with parsing podcasts and 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 sort of things like that. So you know, yeah, kind of as as we've mentioned is you know the sort of less that you can do with the in terms of like you know scaffolding and stuff that every site needs, then the quicker you can get into actually writing your application. Um, you know, I think you'll you know you'll you'll get uh, exposed to a lot of those new nuances a little bit earlier and, and sort of have the time to, to kind kind of work on them uh, i mean i think it, it's also interesting to kind of see as i said the site's only like a year and a half old but it, it's also kind of scary how already out of date it is with how i build things now like if if i was building this site now i i wouldn't be using view on the front end you know like i'd be using alpine and livewire instead and so it's 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 still kind of scary how fast things are kind of changing around us um and and so yeah so always new stuff to to, to kind of learn even 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 for somebody like me who's been doing it since i was eight years old there's there's still a lot to learn so uh try and stay up on on what all of the new stuff is but you don't necessarily have to jump on the bandwagon straight away either Right. Yeah, that's uh, very well put. And I don't know, maybe my opinion is wrong here, but I think we're on the cusp of like, just like a transition of how web apps are being built in a way that makes the majority of folks like super happy, right? It's like back in the early or mid 20s or 2000s or whatever, it was all just like server rendered, you know, templates with maybe some sprinkles of JavaScript a little bit here and there. And then everyone is like, no, that's horrible. Let's make API backends and super complicate things on the front end and do all the work twice and have like this convoluted crazy mess that maybe will work for, you know, certain team sizes and individuals, but you know, a lot of people don't want that. And now it's like, here we are and we have things like Livewire and LiveView with Phoenix and Rails has Stimulus Reflex and Django has its own things coming as well. Like there's all this like, okay, cool. You can actually get this interactivity with, you know, server render templates with just maybe a tiny bit of JavaScript here and there. And uh, you get all those benefits. And I don't know, I feel like the churn right now is a little bit high, like while people figure out that pattern, but maybe it'll settle down in its own like era of web development in like, I don't know, like a year or two or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think the other interesting trend is that, you know, like I, you know, I said that there's the site's getting a thousand visits a month, right? Like in the past, I think people would have been like, oh, it's only getting a thousand visits a month for a podcast you know site i mean i think that's pretty good but it's also the fact that i don't think everything needs to be like this big massive social media you know <laughs> social media platform that's got a hundred million people on it anymore i think that we're going to continue to see this trend where people are building smaller sites that have a smaller audience uh, but have all the same, you know, have all the same features and functionality that that they would if they're in in kind of a larger application, uh, serving a much larger audience as well. But it means that you know you kind of have to be less worried about like scaling and and like you know how do I put this on a massive server with you know lots of CPUs and things like that. You, you know you just don't have to worry about that stuff. But and you can really yeah you know, concentrate on kind of in, enriching the sort of user experience there instead of worrying about how you uh, instead of wor instead of worrying about how you scale things instead. Yeah, for sure. Very well put. So, Mubs, thanks a lot for coming on the Running in Production podcast. It was already great having you on. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so before we wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that? 
Uh, yeah, my website is hubs.me, M-U-B-S dot M-E. Um, and that's uh, that's got links to all of my other stuff on it as well. Uh, and then my Twitter is my full name at Habashir mm, Iqbal. That's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that for uh, Nick to put in the show notes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll drop those in there. So cool. On that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running In Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.